Man, I'm, I'm, I'm just praying that you guys amen me as much as you amen in the worship because I'm going to preach really differently if I, if I get to hear your voice. I've already promised a few of the people in the room that I'm going to get worked up if they start amening me. So I'm, I'm listening. I'm wanting it. And Tony's my amener over here, so he's going to amen me a few times. But today we're going to talk about what I believe is, is probably the most shocking truth in the entire Bible. And, and that's a big statement, but I believe it. It's one of those truths that, like, if you, if you grasp, like, really, really grasp, then it will blow your mind. Here's the truth. God wants a relationship with you. Yeah, I, I think you, you know that. But that's not, I, I don't think you've ever really stopped and parked on that, that truth. Just that God wants to be in a relationship with you. Like, I, I know we know the story of the Bible, and we know the Garden of Eden, and, and we, you know, he builds Adam and Eve, and he's in relationship with them, and that gets all screwed up by sin and humanity. But, but the meta-narrative of the entire Bible is God created mankind to know mankind, and it's, we screw it up, and God spends the whole Bible fixing it up so that at the end of it, in the book of Revelation, like, we can be back with God again. Everything he's doing is about a relationship with him. And he's saying, I want you, I want you, I want you, I want to be in relationship with you. And, and I think if you just, if you really, really considered that truth, it would be overwhelming for you to think the creator of the universe would want you to be in relationship with you. I know I'm overwhelmed by that thought. And, and today as we finish our sermon series through the Spirit Walk, really what I'm going to be looking at is how God has invited us into relationship with him through his Spirit. And, and one of the, the craziest thoughts is that all of relationship, because it's about opening up your heart to someone else, God is giving us access to his heart as he enters into relationship with us. I mean, that's the message of the Bible. Th think about what the Bible says. The Bible says that we can be a friend of God, that we can be in a relationship with God, that we can walk with God, that we can know God, that we can hear God, and he will be with us. It's a relationship. But let me tell you about a relationship with God. There's a good part and a bad part. We, we can know God, love God, serve God, but we can also hurt the very heart of God by the way we treat God, which I know there's some of you going, wait, 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 time out, Jason. You, you can't hurt God. I mean, he's like, he's like omnipotent. He's, you can't hurt God. And if you feel that way, you should probably go back and reread your Bible because you listen to what it talks about how we relate to the Holy Spirit, who is God, by the way, and it says that we can grieve the Spirit. We can insult the Spirit. We can blaspheme the Spirit. We can lie to the Spirit. We can quench the Spirit. We can resist the Spirit. So these are words that say that we can hurt the very heart of God because he's given us access to his heart through the relationship he offers to us. And I believe one of the most important things for us is to recognize that we must be in a right relationship with the Spirit of God if we want to receive the presence and the power of the Spirit of God. And, and I, I think we gotta, we got to pause our relationship with the Spirit talk that we have in, in, in the, the slight chance that we might make a mistake on what we think it is to walk with the Spirit. Because I'm afraid, and, and even you know, as a staff, as you guys have been praying through this and thinking through, what does it mean to me to walk with the Spirit of God? And if you've been following along with us, part of the mindset will be, okay, there's this force I need to tap into so I can receive the power of the Spirit of God. And the moment we start viewing the Holy Spirit as a force we tap into, we no longer view him as a person, and therefore we don't think about relationship. But the Holy Spirit is beckoning us into a relationship with him. He's not a, a cosmic force we tap into. And because it's relationship, 
then we have to recognize the cues of when we push him away like we do human relationships. Probably the most shocking thing for me. And those of you watching, like the staff that's here, they've been on a journey with me over the last six months of discovering what does it mean to walk in step with the Spirit. And the most shocking thing for me has been this recognition that the Holy Spirit is so gentle. He won't force himself upon anybody. And I don't think we typically view God as gentle. We view God as omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, this God who's like on steroids, huge, powerful God. But when you really look at the Spirit, the Spirit is so amazingly gentle. Won't force his will, won't force his way upon anybody. He only comes when we invite him. In the moment we show the Spirit through our actions and through our thoughts that we don't value him or want him, that he will remove his presence and his power from us. Now, when I say that, I do have to time out because this, I was heard a few weeks ago when I was talking about this that someone said, wait, wait, are you saying that we can lose the Spirit of God? So I want to be really clear. We never lose the Holy Spirit once we've been sealed with the Spirit through our faith in Jesus Christ. We, we receive the Spirit through faith in Christ, and we do not leave, we do not leave that moment of, of interconnectedness with the Spirit of God. So he never leaves us entirely. But we can miss his presence and his power when we get into a bad or wrong relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. And so what I want to teach you today are the ways in which we tend to push the Spirit away and damage our relationship with him. And then I'm going to finish with what we need to do about it. So there are, there are three places where I'm going to focus in on ways that we push the Spirit away. So grab your Bibles, open them up. We're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 7, to start off. Acts 7, and we're going to read in verse 51 in just a moment. Now, a little context, because we're just reading three quick verses in different places to talk about this. So let me tell you what's leading up to it. you got a guy, Stephen, and Stephen is a, one of the first deacons. He's on fire for Jesus, but he's falsely accused by the Jewish leaders, the very Sanhedrin that had accused Jesus and had him crucified. Now Stephen is standing in front of, and they don't like him, and they're falsely accusing him, and he's in trouble. But I want you to listen to how he calls out these Jewish leaders with one quick verse, because he teaches us something about the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 7, verse 51 says this, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. He says, you guys, you are so stiff-necked, you just keep on resisting the Holy Spirit. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Which when I was preparing this message, there was a truth that hit me. I don't know why I never thought of it before, but isn't it crazy that the Spirit actually lets us resist Him? Here's God He's all-powerful. He doesn't have to let us resist him. He could force his will upon us, but he gives us the freedom to actually resist him. And the reason why is because what I said before, he's gentle. He knows what's best for us, but he is not going to force his will upon us. He gives us the right to choose because he knows that if he doesn't give us the right to choose, then we're just machines and we do not, we do not reflect the character of the free God that we're made in the image of. So he lets us choose to either obey him or to resist him. And that word resist, I've shared this before with the church, but it's a, it's a powerful word in Greek. It really helps you understand what the word means. It's the Greek word antipipto, not antipepto. <laughs> it's not like against pepto. This is antipipto, two, two words. Anti is anti, to be against something, and pipto is a verb, and it means to bow down before. So what he's saying is you guys keep on refusing to bow down to the Spirit of God. You won't submit to his authority. And what he's getting after is a human tendency. We have a tendency to view the directives of the Holy Spirit of God as suggestions. 
that we're going to decide whether we want to obey or not. And we put ourselves in a higher authority than the Holy Spirit of God. And we can choose to stiff arm the Holy Spirit and to completely resist what he's telling us to do because we think we're a higher authority. We are refusing to bow down to his authority. I don't know about you guys, but I'd be afraid in my life if I look at how I've lived, that there would be times when in my life, Stephen would have to point at me and say, you stiff-necked person. How many times have you resisted, stiff-armed, refused to bow down to the Holy Spirit? If you want to If you want to remove the Spirit's power and presence from you, if you want to damage your relationship with the Holy Spirit, just push him away. Stiff arm him like that. Say, I refuse to submit to your authority. I promise you, you'll push him away. That's the first one. Second one. So we keep on moving. comes from the book of Ephesians chapter 4. It's another single verse, very powerful one in Ephesians 4. But before I read the verse for you, I'm going to tell you a little bit of the context. So the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus, and as he's doing this, he starts to zero in on this idea of of how we treat other people. So he gives a series of commands in verses 25 to 29 that lead up to what we're about to read, and it's all about not mistreating people. He says, as he's going through, he's like, hey, don't lie to other people. Don't let the sun go down on your anger toward other people. Don't steal from other people. Don't speak harshly about other people. So it's just command, command, command about not mistreating the people around you. And then he throws in verse 30, which almost seems out of place. I want to read that one for you. Ephesians 4, 30 says this. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It almost sounds out of place because he's talking about don't hurt that person, don't hurt that person, don't hurt that person. Then he says... Almost out of left field, don't grieve the Spirit. Like, wait, I thought we were talking about people. When did we get to the Spirit? But this actually shows us what it means to grieve the Spirit of God. To that word in Greek, it means to make sorrowful or to offend. And what this is referring to, the fact that when we speak ill or mistreat the people around us, the very people whom God loves, whom Christ died for, and we mistreat them and speak harshly of them and to them, we grieve the Spirit who loves them. Interesting, I was talking to, uh, to the teaching team. We were talking through this idea of grief and how it's different than anger. And, and, you know, it's not saying God is angry at us when we mistreat other people. He's grieved. And grief always has an element of love to it, whereas anger may not. So, so maybe think about it this way. I, I've, got, I've got my children. If there's somebody who comes up to my children and says a harsh word to my kids, I'm going to be angry. I'm I'm not going to let somebody treat my kids that way. But if one of my kids speaks a harsh word to another one of my kids, I'm grieved because I love both of my children. And I I hurt over what's taken place. My, My frustration is coupled together with my love for that child. And it grieves my heart. Well, this is the way it is with God. When we, as his children, speak ill of the very people that he created and breathed life into and loves, we grieve his heart. And I don't know about you, man, but that makes me feel worse. I'd rather God be angry at me than grieved by me. It's like what your mama does when she, you know, she's like, I'm, I'm not angry with you, but man, that makes me sad. Dude, my mom do that all the time to me, and it would just break my heart when she'd look at me with those puppy dog eyes and, you hurt my heart, baby. Mijito is what she would say. You hurt my heart, Mijito. And I would just, you know, I'd just start crying. I'm so sorry, mommy. I'm so sorry. When you know that you grieve God, that's what should break our hearts because he loves us and doesn't want us to go down that pathway. But every single time we mistreat a person around us, we grieve the heart of God. 
And when we grieve God, we push him away and we lose his power and we lose his presence. In fact, there's a, a book that uh, it's called A Blaze for God. So staff, those of you watching, this will be our ne next fasting retreat. If you're watching online this, this spring, we're going to have a fasting retreat and you can join us, but we're going to read this book, A Blaze for God. So if you want to get a head start, go grab it, read it. It's great. But there's a, a part in here where he talks about grieving the spirit of God. And I thought I'd go ahead and quote it. It's, his name is Wesley Duell in this book, A Blaze for God. But listen to what he says. He says, nothing will drain away God's blessing, power, and anointing from your life more rapidly than unkind thoughts of others. Unloving words, gossip, laughter at the expense of others, and negative talking cuts your power and the sweetness of God's presence. Anything contrary to the tender love of the Holy Spirit is devastating the spiritual power. Man, he's just coming after us saying, if you want to wreck the power of the Spirit inside of you, then mistreat people around you. And if that weren't enough, he's about to say one more sentence and just drop the mic on us. He says, with one critical remark, you can destroy the blessing you receive from hours of prayer. Praying, seeking God, and, and the Spirit of God is coming upon you and blessing is coming. And then you make a critical remark and you speak ill about the very people that the Spirit loves. And we grieve the Spirit and we push Him away and we lose all the benefit of the presence and the power of the Spirit of God with us. And man, let's, let's be honest, can we? How many times have we spoken a critical word about somebody else? Maybe it was behind their back, like no one can hear it, no one can see it. As, as, it's not an issue. We forget the Holy Spirit is with us. And he knows what we speak about somebody else. And his heart is grieved by our words. And we don't even give it a second thought. How many times have we thought unkind thoughts about people, degrading thoughts about other people? And we think, well, no one knows what my thoughts are. But the Spirit of God who works in our thoughts knows our thoughts. And we grieve him because he so loves the very people we're tearing down in our minds. And how quickly we can destroy spiritual power when we have unkind thoughts and speak unkind words to the people around us. The Holy Spirit's gentle, and we can grieve him and push him away. We must not do so with our thoughts and words. Third thing, last way, though, that we push the Spirit aside is going to come from the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to see how, how this works, but it comes in a succession of really quick commands that he's given here. If, if you were to read a little bit more, if you're reading from the English Standard Version there's a heading in this, uh, this section called Final Instructions. And he's just given us this rapid-fire machine gun look at, at commands. Things like admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks. Just like command, 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 command. And then he gives this really short one that is so powerful. It, it comes in verse 19. Just, just five words. Here's what it says. Do not quench the Spirit. Paul in this rapid fire succession tells us this, do not quench the spirit. And when he gives us this one little command, it's only four words in Greek, this little four word statement, he is revealing to us this, this incredible thought of how we interact with the spirit of God. And what he's teaching us is that we have the power to quench, to extinguish, to put out the fire of the spirit of God in our lives. I gotta be honest, I don't know why God gives us that kind of power, but he does. Power to quench the very spirit. Now, all over the Bible, the Bible is talked about as a fire, as, as a blaze, this heat that we want to have. And it's saying that we can put out, we can dampen and even quench that fire. Now, I want to make sure you understand what I mean by that. I want you to know what I don't mean and what I do mean. What I don't mean is that we can lose the Spirit of God. That's not what quench the Spirit means. And I, I 
I've said that already. I'm going to say it again. We cannot lose the Spirit of God when we placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And this also doesn't mean that we actually dampen the power of the Spirit of God because He is omnipotent. He's, he's all-powerful. We can't rob Him of power. But it does mean that we can rob Him of power in our lives. So the power working in us can be extinguished and dampened when we quench the Spirit. And so your first question will be, well, how, how do we quench the Spirit? The number one way to quench the Spirit is the simple word disobedience. You want to know how to douse water on the fire of the Spirit of God? Just have Him tell you to do something and utterly disobey Him. I promise you, you'll discover what it means to quench the Spirit. Here's the secret for you. There's a secret to keeping the white-hot fire of the Spirit ablaze inside you. Actually, it's not really a secret. Like, it's like all over the Bible, all right? In fact, I I want you to write this down. Staff, I'm serious. I want you to write this. I want to get your phone out. I want you to write this thing down because I want you to remember this. If you're watching online, I I want you to get a piece of paper, get your phone out, get your notes out. I want you to write this down. I want to make sure I say it right because this is the whole message summed up in one statement right here. The secret to keeping the white-hot fire of the Spirit ablaze in us is immediate and complete obedience. That's the secret right there. You want to know how to keep the fire ablaze, not to quench it, not to grieve the Spirit, not to do all these problems and push the Spirit away? Immediate and complete obedience. That's the secret. And you have to have both. So let me start with the first one. Let me talk about our problem with what I call delayed obedience. There are so many times that we delay our obedience and we don't even realize how we're robbing the Spirit of power in our lives. You may not know this, but our God is a God of perfect timing. He has developed an art of perfect timing. And when he prompts us to do things, he does it at the exact right time. And every single time we delay him, we miss the window of his perfect timing. This is why delayed obedience is disobedience, because God is not just telling us what to do. He's telling us when to do it. And we got to do it when he tells us to or we miss the window. I saw a, a perfect example of this just a few weeks ago. So I was, I was flying home from Vermont with my wife. She and I got to go on a much-needed vacation, just the two of us left our 84 kids back at home, and we got away, and it was great. But as we were flying back uh, on our way to the airport, we got news that the flight had been delayed. And, uh, and this was really bad because we were going to miss our connection in Philadelphia, and we were looking at all the possibilities, and it looked like we weren't going to make it home until the next night, so 24 hours later. And we got our, our, especially our younger daughters crying every night, like, when are you coming home? When are you coming home? It took us about five days before we actually missed them because there's so many of them. But like by day five, we're ready to be home. Now this is day six, and now Mama Bear really wants to be home. And this news that we might be home a day later was just more than she could bear. So we're overwhelmed by this. We're like an hour and a half late. We only have a 50-minute layover. We don't have any clue how we're going to make it in Philadelphia. So we get on the flight, and we're flying from Vermont over to Philadelphia. And the whole plane is, is in an uproar because the majority have connections to some other place, and we're all going to miss our connections. And, and Virginia and I are praying because we want to make it home and there's a couple right next to us. And this couple is a younger couple, and we start talking to them, and they tell us that, yeah, they're really sad. It looks like they're going to miss their layover that they have, and they're supposed to go to a wedding, and it's their best friends, and, and they're, they're a main part of the wedding, and they're so sad. Their friends are going to be so discouraged, and they're just they're heartbroken that they're not going to make it. I don't know how it's going to happen. Now, the moment they told us that, I felt immediately a prompting from the Spirit of God to look over to them and tell them, Hey, right now, I think God is telling me I'm supposed to pray that you make it over there so you can see the power of my God. Now, when I felt that prompt, I'm going to go ahead and be honest with you what was going through my mind. 
I immediately started to backpedal. Like, okay, wait, 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 wait. Now, now here's, here's a problem. Like, there's two parts. One of them, if I say that, they're going to go, stewardess, can I have a new seat, please? Because I got a cuckoo right next to me. This dude's crazy. Because they're going to go like, they're, they're, they're from Vermont, right? They're, they're not a lot of believers up in Vermont. It's not like down in the south, you know. They didn't look like Christians, didn't act like Christians. So I'm assuming I'm going to freak them out the moment I tell them, I'm going to pray to my God that he can show you his miraculous power. So like I'm debating in my mind right there. But then there's the bigger theological issue. Like, what if God doesn't do it? You know, then they're going to not, they're going to believe even less in my God because what, what if God doesn't show up? Which, by the way, it's a, that's a true warning, except for the fact that the Spirit had told me to pray that. And if the Spirit tells me to pray that, that means he's going to show up. So I don't have any reason to doubt, but in my mind, I'm doubting and I'm delaying and I'm delaying and I'm delaying. And the whole time, I'm, I'm, I am praying for them that they make it there, but I'm not saying what I'm supposed to. Now, I finally did obey, but let me tell you when I obeyed. So we, we finally come down and, you know, we land and we couldn't get any internet, couldn't check connections and all that stuff when we land. And the moment we land, everybody turns on their phones immediately so that we can check to see. Now, by God's miraculous grace, I don't know how this happened. Our next flight was delayed two and a half hours. I've never been more happy in my life to have a flight delayed two and a half hours. But my wife and I knew we were going to make it home. Really, really late, but we were going to make it home. But the couple next to us, they found out their flight had already taken off. They missed it. It was over and there were no other flights they could go to. Now, immediately, I'm like, oh, well, whew, I'm glad I didn't say what I was going to say earlier because God wouldn't have shown up. But then the craziest thing happened. From the time that we landed in about the 10 minutes it took to taxi over to our terminal, the stewardess came back and said to them, hey, craziest thing ever. There were two people who opened up their seats, and so we now have a new flight for you, and you're going to make it to your destination in time. I've never seen this happen before, but you're going to make it. And it was at that moment that I look over the couple and I finally tell them, oh, I'm so glad I was actually praying that you would make it. And you know what they're thinking? Yeah, right. you're praying for me. You wait till I know I'm going to make it and then you tell me you're praying for me. There's no power in that. It's too late. It's a dollar late, day late and dollar short there. They'd already gotten the news. But imagine if back when the Spirit had prompted me, when it was utterly impossible, if I had told them, I'm praying that my God will show you his power to make it to the wedding on time. And then imagine if we'd landed and they'd gotten the, the news that they weren't going to make it and they're not believing. And then there's this miracle change by the time we taxi and they hear craziest thing, you're actually going to make it out. Imagine what they would have thought about my God. And I completely missed it because I did not do it when the Spirit told me to do it. I delayed and I missed his power. Delayed obedience is disobedience. God is a God of perfect timing. And when he speaks to us, we need to obey immediately. But i got to be honest with you. Maybe even more difficult than delayed obedience is what I call incomplete obedience. So if you want to really walk with the Spirit, you need both immediate and complete obedience. And I think a lot of us do what I call incomplete obedience. And what's that? Incomplete obedience is when we receive a prompting or a directive from the Spirit of God, and then we immediately try to find out how can I actually do what he tells me to do, but in the safest, easiest way possible. Like we start looking for the lowest common denominator so I can tell God I obeyed, but not make it hard. So maybe you're going, okay, well, I don't, I don't know what that looks like in practical life. Well, let me just tell you a little example of parenting and how you see this when you parent children. Again, I, I got a lot of children. So 
in my home every single week. Staff, I know you know this. If you're watching online, you may, you may not know this, but uh, so we, we take the Sabbath very, very seriously in our home. We, we always try to on the sundown, on Saturday night to sundown, on Sunday night, rest, worship God, spend a lot of time together, eat a lot of food. But one of the key things to getting ready for the Sabbath is a clean house. So on Saturdays, our whole family comes together and we, we clean the whole house up every single Saturday. And the whole family knows we've got a whole chore chart and we have our instructions. And I mean, we try to mop, sweep, not in that order, sweep, mop, vacuum, clean everything up, put away the laundry, make the beds, just make sure the house is as clean as possible so that when we come into the Sabbath, we're rested and ready for this. So my kids know, this is not a shocker to them, every Saturday they have cleaning assignments. So this one particular child of mine who shall remain unnamed because I, I asked if I could tell the story and this child told me no, <laughs> I couldn't reveal. So I'm going to use a lot of like their and them just to kind of hide the identity of this child of mine. But this child of mine knew they had instructions to clean their room on the Sabbath. And I also knew this child's room was a disaster, like horrible, going to take you at least an hour, an hour and a half to clean this room. But it's Sabbath prep. You know this is coming, so child, go clean your room. You know, a lot of bickering and arguing, and finally my child goes to clean the room. And then 15 minutes later, walks out and says, I'm done. And Virginia and I look at each other and we go, there ain't no way you're done. So we go walk in there just to check out the room. And, and, and sure enough, it, it looks pretty clean. I mean, like, the bed is mostly made. It's not like crisp and tucked in, but at least it's made. Things are off the floor. And it's been vacuumed, you could tell, like, super quick, like, it's not straight lines, like, choo, 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 you know, when she's, oh, I said she, never mind. Just imagine you didn't hear that. This child of mine, she, she had vacuumed up her room. It's too late now, the cat's out of the back. She had, she had vacuumed up the room, and it was, it, was, it was just terrible. But it was mostly clean. And so we're looking at our child going, okay, what's going on here? And I, I believe it was the Spirit of God that prompted me. I said, let, let me just check your closet real quickly. It was like a cartoon. I opened the door and everything comes tumbling out of the closet. I'm, I'm talking dirty laundry, books, plates with food on them, like just coming out like a disaster war zone. And I go, child, this is not cleaning your room. And my child says, well, you didn't say anything about the closet. You just said clean the room. You know, isn't it like a teenager to just find a loophole, right? You know, like, what's the lowest common denominator? If you were to ask teenagers watching this right now, every one of them would say, yeah, I agree. Yeah, you didn't say anything about the closet. She did what she was supposed to. That's your fault, Daddy. If you ask a parent, every parent's going to say, that's a bunch of bull. That's, that is disobedience. And the closet's in the room. That counts, right? That's, that misses the heart of the request. We get it. It's actually a means of control. The child wants to control whatever they can. And so this is a way to say, at least I'm going to own part of it. I'm going to do it on my terms. Let me tell you why I want to share that story with you. This is exactly what we do to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit gives us a command and immediately, like a teenage kid, we start looking for the loophole. Okay, what's the, what's the lowest common denominator? What's the minimum I got to do to, to look at God and say, I obeyed you, but I did it in the safest, easiest way possible. It's a form of control. The Spirit's telling us what to do, and we're not doing it the way the Spirit wants us to do. And when we try to control the Spirit of God, 
and we do an incomplete form of obedience, we miss all the power and the presence of God in our lives. In fact, I, I want to share with you a time on the positive side. Now, I've shared the negative. I want to share a positive time when I struggled to completely obey the Spirit. But when I did, I saw the Spirit of God move. So 10 years ago, right here on this stage, I preached my very first ever sermon series as one of the, the teaching pastors of this church. It was a sermon series called The Book. And like I'm, I'm right out of the chute here. I want to make a good impression. I, I want the church to think I'm a good preacher. And so I'm, I'm doing everything I can to try to be a great preacher. And, and this, the sermon subject of the, the book series was about the Bible. And this first one I was talking about how important it is to treasure the Bible, not, not the physical Bible. And, and I went through saying like, these pages don't have any power. It's, it's the content. It's the message inside. And so I was trying to get him to see that if you just own a Bible or flip through a Bible or just read certain portions of it, that you're devaluing all the parts that you don't read. You're basically telling God that that part of Scripture has no meaning to me and no value to me. And, and immediately as I was thinking through the sermon, I felt like the Spirit say, I, I want you, Jason, to rip out pages of the Scripture that you would say people, they don't want to read. So I was, I was thinking through, like, many of you out there are going, Habakkuk, Man, I'm not going to read Habakkuk, I don't understand that. Zephaniah, I, I won't ever understand that. I'll stick with the Gospels or Paul's letters or something. I'm not going to read this crazy. Isaiah, it's so long, it's so crazy, confusing. I'm just not going to read. And I felt like the Spirit prompted me to actually say when I was preaching, so the book of Habakkuk, to get it and just rip it out of the Bible in front of everybody. And immediately... I, I rejected it. Like, no, 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 nope, 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 nope. That's not what you're calling me to do, God. And the reason why is I have such a high view of Scripture. Like, I, I love God's Word. I read it all the time. I study it deeply. And I'm Latino, and this is part of Latino culture. Like, you treat the Bible like it's sacred. And there, there could be some, like, movement. i got to be cautious. not like idolatry, putting too much value in a book. But I, I, I struggle to put the Bible on the floor. You will always see me put it on the table or I'll hold it. I don't want to put it on the floor because I so love God's word and rip pages out of the scriptures, no way. And so immediately I started to look for the loophole. Okay, what's a way that I can kind of obey God but just do it in a way that keeps it safe? And I know if I stand up in my first sermon series as a teaching pastor and I rip pages out of the Bible, they are going to fire me. In this room is a gentleman named Mike Wyrick and he was my boss and he would have fired me on the spot. I just knew it. And so I did not want to get fired. I did not want to take, it was just too risky. I didn't, it didn't, didn't feel right and good. And so I was trying to find all these different loopholes. But the more I prayed, the more I felt the Spirit telling me. Because I had this great idea, by the way. I was going to find a book that looked like a Bible. I was going to open it. I was going to rip pages out of it. And they were, everybody was going to gasp. And then I was going to go, just kidding. It's not a real Bible. You can't get mad. Like, that's the way I was going to handle it. Because I didn't want to do it. But I felt like the Spirit telling me. And in fact, used a friend of mine to challenge me. To say, I mean, if the Spirit's prompting you, shouldn't you obey? And so I finally said, yeah, I think I should. And I said, okay, God, I'll do it. And I came right here to this same stage 10 years ago, and I stood up. I'm not going to do it again right now, but I stood up, and I said, you know, if you're not reading the book of Habakkuk, then you might as well rip it out of your Bible. And I got it, and I ripped out the pages, and I threw them. And I died a thousand deaths doing it. It was so painful to do it. I grabbed the book of Zephaniah. I ripped it out through the pages. Ever, and there was this <gasps> gasp in the room. I cannot believe you just did that. I could tell there was some hostility in the room. And I just, I tried to be obedient. 
And when I finished, I felt so beat up. Not, not from people. Like I got some encouraging words from people like, man, that was, that, was, that was painful, but it showed me how important God's word is. But internally, I felt so beat up that I had defaced a Bible, like ruined a Bible. And it messed me up for a while. And I didn't really see any fruit from it for quite a while until, fast forward three years later. So this building right here is on the corner of Fielder and Pioneer Parkway. And I was heading out to go preach at what at the time was our East Arlington campus. So I'm going down Pioneer Parkway. And I get to the intersection where Cooper is. And if you live in Arlington, you know that's kind of the main centerpiece of the city. Cooper goes north and south. I'm heading east toward East Arlington. And I'm at a stoplight. And a car pulls up next to me. And, and I could tell, like, you ever know, like, when you can feel somebody looking at you? So I'm sitting there and I can feel looking. So I kind of turn real slowly like that to see. And I see this guy going, hey, hey, hey. And so, like, I slowly roll down the window. Can I help you? <laughs> and he says, are you Jason? Who's asking? <laughs> no, I, di I didn't say that. I wanted to. I, I said, yeah. And he said, the Jason, who's one of the pastors there at Filter Church, is down the street. I said, that's me. He said, hey, man, I was, I was at church about three years ago when you ripped pages out of the Bible. I'm like, here it comes, man. This guy's about to rip a hole in me. He's so angry that I ripped pages out of a Bible. And he starts off and he goes, man, when you ripped those pages out, I want you to know I was ticked. I could not believe that you would do that to a Bible. And I'm just, I'm just ready to receive it. There's about to be a tail whooping right now in my car waiting to go preach. And then he says, but, but God got all over me. And I realized I had never read the entire Bible. I had done the very thing you're talking about, skipped over all these hard books of the Bible. And that day the Spirit said, I'm doing that very thing I'm so upset with this pastor for doing because I'm not reading. I need to read the entire Bible. He says, that was three years ago. I've read it four times all the way through since then. And God has so transformed my life. And I have just, I realized at the first time reading through that I can't just sit in the seats and be a spectator of this, that God has filled me with the Spirit so I could serve him and make his glory known. And so I started to pray, God, how could you use me? And about a year later, the Lord told me I need to be a part of spreading the gospel right here in the city of Arlington. And so I contacted Mission Arlington, and they told me they had these, these church plants and apartment complexes, and I could go serve over there, and I could share the gospel with people. And he says, for the last year, I've been going to this apartment complex in North Arlington. In fact, I'm on my way there right now to go serve God. And it's all because... Three years ago, you were bold enough to rip pages out of a Bible to show me I needed to read it from beginning to end. And God transformed me. And I've been so meaning to tell you that. And I can't believe I just pulled up next to you, so I got to tell you. Then the light turned and he said, bless you, brother. And he drove off. And I drove off. And I have never been so glad in all my life that when the Spirit told me to do something, I didn't try to find a loophole, but I did exactly what he told me to do, complete obedience. Because when I did, I saw the fruit and the power of a God who tells us what to do. And I just, I left that whole moment thinking, what, what would happen if we had a church filled with people, a staff and a church body all over who would just say, Almighty God, I'm gonna do what you tell me to do it, when you tell me to do it, how you tell me to do it. Immediate and complete obedience. Uh, 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 people who said, I don't want to grieve you, Spirit. I don't want to quench you, Spirit. I don't want to stiff arm you and resist you anymore, Spirit. I want to do, do Burger King, man, your way right away. Uh, immediate, complete obedience. I think we would hear these stories every single day of miracles, of times when people just, just said, I had this divine appointment today I wasn't ready for. 
Or, man, I just, I, I just had this encounter and God just did something overwhelming. I think if, if just us as a church, the, the thousands of us that make up Fielder Church, if we would just get a passion to say, God, I'm going to do it your way, I think we would see miracle after miracle after miracle. But that requires a lot of faith. It requires a lot of faith to do it God's way because every bit of our flesh will say, I don't know, I don't know if I should do it this way. I don't know if I should do it right now. I don't know if I should do it his way. And there's only one thing that's going to give you the faith enough to believe that the Spirit of God is guiding you well. And it's to remember that it's the Spirit of a man named Jesus Christ, God himself, who took on flesh just so he could bleed and die for you. Because I guarantee you, when you remember who the Spirit is and what's been done for you, you have no reason to deny him. Because why in the world would God take on flesh and bleed and die for you to save you and then turn around and, and give you bad advice or lead you astray? He's not going to. And when you know all that God has done, when you know how much he's loved you, then, then you can trust his spirit completely and explicitly. You don't have to doubt. You just got to look at the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at the cross and remember. Then you will obey. So I think there's no better way for us to finish up today than taking the Lord's Supper. And staff, I'm, I'm talking to you too. If you're watching, make sure you have your supplies. If you didn't get the Lord's Supper supplies, this next song, you go, they're still around the room. But we're going to take it together because we're going to have a reminder of, of all that God is doing. And we're going to sing a song as we take the Lord's Supper. It's a song that's, that says, I surrender. I surrender to you. Now listen, if you're watching this online, I, I want you to know, before you can talk about surrendering to the Holy Spirit, you have to come to a moment when you surrender to Jesus Christ in your life and receive the Holy Spirit. Right now, I believe there's some of you watching this and you've, in your life, as you've, if you've been living it, you've seen over and over again how, how poorly you manage your life. How you just keep leading yourself into problem after problem after problem. And if you'd finally come to the point where you'd recognize you're sick and tired of your sins, you don't want to walk him anymore. And if you'd ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and invite Christ into you. And when you invite Christ into you, you're inviting the spirit of Christ inside of you. And he would completely transform you and make you new. And I believe God wants to do that in you today. And so if you're watching this and you're ready for the fresh start in life, for a reset, erase all the past, start all over again, but this time with the spirit of Christ inside of you, all you got to do is ask. The Bible tells us we turn away from our sins, lay them on the cross, invite Christ into us to take over, and we're saved. During this next song, if you want to surrender to Christ, you can do so. It's very easy. You just talk to him. You just tell him. And then you tell us. In the next song, you're going to see promptings where you can let us know through a next step slide. And you're going to be able to follow the promptings there and, and let us know you're ready to follow Christ or you have questions or you want prayer. But I want you to take that step of faith during this next song. But, but I also want to say this. I know there are many of you watching, you're believers. I know you guys on staff, you're believers. But I, I want you to be honest with yourselves right now. Because e even in this room, you may need to come down to the front and bow down. This isn't pretend. And you watching, you may be right where you are right now. You may need to get on your face because you may have to confess that you've grieved the Spirit by the way you've spoken of others, the way your thoughts of others that have been condemning. You may have to confess that, that you've quenched the Spirit because He's been prompting you to do things and you have not come with complete and immediate obedience. You may have to confess that you've been resisting the Spirit, stiff-arming the Spirit, 
by, by receiving his promptings as suggestions instead of as the authority that he is. And if you were honest and you would just say, I haven't, I haven't completely obeyed him or I've delayed in my obedience, this may be a time for you to say, forgive me. It's a relationship with the Holy Spirit, which means that we can damage that relationship, but it also means we can restore that relationship. And so this next song, when we're singing, I surrender, you may just want to say that to the Spirit. I, I surrender back to you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for delaying my obedience. I'm sorry for changing what you've told me to do. I'm sorry for hurting you, Spirit. Forgive me. I want to be in a right relationship with you. And I guarantee you, he will forgive you. And he will come rushing back into you and show you his power. And so let's sing this next song, I Surrender. And when we're done with that, I'll lead us in taking the Lord's Supper. Get your heart ready.